28, but we'll read just a few verses as we get started. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning, Lord, for giving us the gift of your Son. And we read in this passage that you told the angel Gabriel to tell Mary and to tell Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation, God our Savior. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you came down to walk among us, that, Lord, you care so much about us, you love us so much, that you wanted to come down and prove your love for the world by becoming a man, taking on human flesh, but being the sinless Son of God, and at the same time the Son of Man, so that you could die on a cross to pay for our sins, to buy us, to purchase our redemption. And Lord, we we praise you. We want to exalt Jesus this morning. His name shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And Lord, we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come back and claim your throne on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and come back and reign and rule over this world. Be the glory of your people, Israel. And Father, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I know nothing else is going to bring peace but the Prince of Peace coming back. And so, Lord, we exalt you. One of these days, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I pray that if there be one here today that's not yet saved, that's never bowed the knee, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, it would be a whole lot easier to bow the knee now and to do it of your own free will to Jesus Christ than to have to bow the knee later when there's no second chance to be saved. I pray, Father, uh, that you would glorify yourself. Uh, Father, if not today, then in the families that are represented here and in their homes. Lord, we pray, especially this time, we pray for the large family and they have endured terrible loss in their family due to drugs. And Father, uh, I pray for that family right now who's going through unspeakable hurt and their hearts are torn up. And Father, I just pray for them and I pray that you would make this good. I know the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I pray, Lord, after having lost another daughter, uh, Lord, to drugs, Father, you'd turn that around and that you'd bless their home this Christmas season. I pray, Father, that Christ and the light of the gospel would conquer in that situation. Lord, I pray that you'd bless now. I thank you for all of these that are here. And uh, we pray most of all that you would come down and that you would use this service. And Father, that you'd bless our homes during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Imagine Mary going out to the well in Nazareth. Mary just being a young girl, probably 13, 14, 15 years old. And she's going out to the well at the regular time that all the ladies go out to the well to get their water and bring it back to their homes to prepare for the duties for the day, making meals and cleaning dishes and uh, maybe doing 
some cleaning up around the house. But Mary goes out to the well, and, and as she approaches, the other ladies are, are talking there, and they see her coming, and they stop talking. And uh, Mary brings her pot off of her head. Women during that time would carry their pot of water on their head, and she lets her pot down and puts it on the ground and gets ready to, to fill up her pot from the well. And the ladies say, Mary, we're so excited for you. Um, how are things going with Joseph? How's Joseph? And Mary says, oh, he's wonderful as ever. He's just as sweet as can be. And they say, we're so excited for your wedding. And she was engaged to him. And, and uh, girls uh, at that time had to wait a year uh, for their engagement. And that was just as binding as marriage. But uh, they would be talking about wedding plans and so on and so forth. And Mary, Mary would say, things are just great. But, you know, Things with Rome are getting worse and worse, and these soldiers are getting more and more um, pushy, and uh, they're, they're just they're, they're hurting our people, they're oppressing us, and they would talk about Rome, and, and I bet Mary would say, but uh, I can't wait till the Messiah comes. And all the ladies would say, yes, I can't wait till the Messiah comes. I hope he comes in our lifetime. And, um, and Mary said, wouldn't it be wonderful, you know, if he were to be born in Nazareth? And during Mary's day, every young Jewish woman who was a faithful woman and looking for the consolation of Israel, they would all hope that the Messiah would be born in their lifetime, that he would come. And Mary was no different. And then Mary returns to her home after visiting with the ladies and enjoying that with her pot of water on her head, comes into her house, and you can just imagine, sits down her pot of water and... and all of a sudden, she realizes, I'm not alone in this room. Now, what I just said was using creative license. The water pot's not in the Bible, but that's what her daily activities would have been like. I don't know what she was doing before she came home to her house this day, but this day she came home in uh, verse 26, and she realized she wasn't alone in the house. And she probably turned around real quick and saw the angel Gabriel standing there. And she would have been frightened. It says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, that's the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, and there he appears to her in her home. And he tells Mary that God has chosen you to be the mother of Jesus. You are going to bring the Messiah into the world. Now, why did God choose Mary to be the mother of Jesus? Why did he choose her? You know, I think Mary was actually chosen to bring the Messiah into the world because I think God looked down at her and he said, that young lady is faithful. That young lady is committed to me. And I believe that she can do this job. I believe that she'll care for the Son of God, that she'll raise him, that she'll take her responsibility serious, that if I entrust her with this, that she will take care of the Son of God and, and raise him and bring him to manhood so that he can fulfill the purpose for which he came. He was born so that he might die for our sins. And so he looked at Mary, and, and I think he looked at Mary and said, She'll be my servant, and she'll, she'll raise my son. It wasn't because she was sinless. She was a sinner just like everyone else. 
just like all of us. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And she even called Jesus her Savior. She knew that she needed a Savior. And she went to do the same thing that every young Jewish woman would do once uh, she had a child. She would go for her days of purification and go and make a sacrifice at the temple and offer two turtle doves or a pigeon or offer some small sacrifice because she was an unclean sinner, just like everyone else. Folks, there's only three kind of people in this world, only three kind of men, and that goes, uh, that's speaking generically, that goes for every man, woman, boy, or girl, only three kind of people. One, there's a spiritual man. That's a person who's saved and walking in the Spirit and living for the Lord, a spiritual man. There's a carnal man. That's a person who's a believer. They're saved, but they're walking in the flesh. He's not a spiritual man. He's not a spiritual believer. He's a carnal man, but he's still saved. And then you have the natural man. Paul tells us about this, the natural man. The natural man is not saved. They've never been born again. They don't have the Spirit of God residing within, and they can't understand spiritual things. So today, if you're not saved, the only thing God has for you today is not a message on how to live a, a better life or how to be successful or how to be a good person. If you're not saved, the message that God has for you is He has the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is where the gospel begins. And if you want to get to heaven this morning, you've got to go to Bethlehem first. You've got to go to a little manger, to a little baby, and then you go from the manger to the cross. We heard that in a song yesterday, a real good gospel song. You've got to go from the manger to the cross, you see. Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be a man, and he grew up to be uh, sacrificed, to lay down his life for your sins. And a natural man, then once he's born again, the Spirit of God comes in, and then the, the Spirit of God helps you to understand things. Things of God are spiritually discerned. And the natural man, he won't receive them. God, first of all, wants to get you saved. So the first prayer God wants to hear from you might be a prayer saying, God, if you're up there, would you show me if it's real? That one, he'll hear that. And then he'll hear the prayer of a sinner who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. I trust in him alone. For salvation, I don't want to go to hell. If you do that, just like that, God will come in. He'll take up residence in your heart, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to understand these things. And then you want to be the spiritual man, not the carnal man. If anything, I hope this message, uh, Mary's example of faithfulness and commitment, I hope this message would stir you up to say, I'm not going to walk in the flesh anymore. I'm going to walk in the Spirit and be a spiritual man. So let's look at this together and see what we can learn about Mary's faithfulness and her visit with the angel Gabriel. And uh, looking at verse 27 there, and what I want to do is just going through verse 27 down to verse 38 is just to give the sense. That's uh, Bible preaching, just reading the Bible, explaining the Bible, and then applying it. We get that principle from Nehemiah 8.8. 8. So they read in the book of the law distinctly back in Nehemiah's day. The scribe would read in the book of the law distinctly, like we're going to do, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's what I want to do this morning is just give the sense, just a, just a simple explanation as we go through these verses 
And then I want to make an application. So, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, why a virgin? Had to be a virgin. Had to come to marry a virgin so that she would be pure and ready to have God's son. And then God was going to make his son grow in her tummy so that he could produce the son of God. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So he would be from the house of David, from Joseph. His, uh, his right to the throne of David would come through the lineage of Joseph, who would be like his adopted dad. So if any of you in here today are adopted, you're in good company. Jesus himself had an adopted dad. Maybe you got a stepdad. Well, Jesus had, you could think of him as being a stepdad. He wasn't his real father. His real father was God in heaven. It was a miraculous conception, but it was important that Joseph was of the lineage, the house of David, because that way Jesus could fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament. And one day he will sit on Mount Zion. He will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he will reign over the world. He will be the light to the Gentiles one of these days. Right now, folks, uh, they reject Jesus Christ. The Jews, uh, the house of David, that's just a clan within the tribe of Judah, but the Jews altogether, they reject Jesus Christ. There are some Jews who are saved and praise God for that, but for the most part, they rejected their Messiah. Don't you reject him. Don't you reject him today. Because they rejected the Messiah, then, then you, you watch it happen through the book of Acts. It says three times, I turned to the Gentiles, and God sent his apostle Paul to the Gentiles, now to the world nations, to the people, coming with message, with the good tidings of great joy, the message of peace in the gospel, and you are to receive it. Don't reject it today. If you've never received, never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't reject it. But one day, uh, he will have a literal, physical kingdom. Right now, it's spiritual. It's in our hearts. But one day, it will be physical, and the world's uh, nations will come and worship at uh, the throne in Jerusalem. Verse 28, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, giving this high greeting to Mary and telling her that she is blessed, and she truly is blessed among women and when she saw him she was troubled at his saying now we can just imagine her being surprised by his greeting and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be she wondered at the greeting of this angel mary's just a poor peasant just a, just a little peasant jewish girl from nazareth Nazareth is only mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned in the Bible in connection with Jesus. Otherwise, we wouldn't know about it. Just a little village that sits atop a mountainous region that's southwest of the Sea of Galilee, if you're familiar with that. And it sits about 1,200 feet above sea level. And where Nazareth is, it's a little village and a little valley surrounded by hills, basically cut off from the rest of the world. And that's where Jesus grew up. That was, his, that was his home place. And that's where Mary and Joseph lived. And people in Nazareth were rough people. They were rough cusses. Um, they were known for it. That's why uh, Nathaniel, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth when they said the Messiah is here? He, he's coming from Nazareth. 
And uh, they lived up to their bad reputation. When Jesus grew up to be a man and preached in their synagogue there, the Jewish meeting house, when he preached in that synagogue and preached his message, they ran him out of there. They were going to cast him off of the cliff or stone him with stones. So they tried to kill one of their own and one of their own rabbis. They were rough people. And that's where, where Mary was from. And she thought, why me? Why would you choose me out of all the women? Wouldn't you choose one of these women maybe from Jerusalem? But why me? So Mary felt insignificant. She felt small. She, she felt overlooked. She felt invisible. Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe as a believer in Jesus Christ, you say, yes, I want to be a spiritual man. I want to walk in the Spirit, and I want to do something for God, but who am I? My life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I live for the Lord. I'm just uh, a little nobody from Racine, Ohio. Not in God's sight. Don't underestimate what God wants to do with somebody that the world considers to be inconsequential, small, nothing, a deplorable. I listened to a man who was talking about the perspective that scholarship has on the New Testament scriptures, the the Greek uh, copies of the scriptures that are translated into English for us, and he talked about his view of people who use the King James Bible and uh, people that are like Fuller Theological Seminary or Dallas Theological Seminary or uh, Yale or Princeton or any of those kind of places, they think you're a bunch of dumb hillbillies that, that, that would say something like, well, if it's good enough for Paul, the King James Bible is good enough for me. None of us would say anything like that. But they think, they think this morning, people that are in them colleges and those seminaries, they think you're a bunch of dumb hillbillies. You know what? I'm going to stand with you, and we're going to say, well, if, if I believe the King James Bible... I'm a dumb hillbilly, then I believe the King James Bible. You can call me whatever you want. Yeah, if you, you think because I'm from Appalachia I don't know anything? You, don't, you think I don't know nothing? Because I'm from an impoverished, impoverished part of the nation? I know enough to know that this is God's word, and I'm going to believe it, and let God be true and every man a liar. And you watch what God can do when he takes somebody like you or somebody like me that's just small, insignificant, unknown. We get uncomfortable when we go to Columbus, Ohio. Amen. And watch what God can do if you'll just say, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to be as committed as what little Mary was here. And just, I'm your your servant. Be it unto me according to your word. Take my life, Lord, and use it. And you watch what he does. He'll do great things. And uh, he'll leave those stuffy seminary professors in their uh, break rooms, sucking on Coca-Cola and air conditioning and, and never winning a soul to Christ in their entire lives. You can do something for the Lord. And Mary was going to bring the Savior into the world. And so he says, uh, Here, here's this thing, and she's wondering about this greeting, and how could it be that God would say such a thing like that to me? And then in verse um, 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not. Every time an angel showed up, people were scared. So it would be a terrifying experience to see an angel. Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now it's interesting that Gabriel is talking to a woman in the Bible. Did you know in the Quran that there's a Gabriel in the Quran that he's not really the Gabriel of the Bible. Uh, Muhammad described him as a 600-winged being 
And uh, in the Quran, the angels never talk to the women. If you're a Christian today, you ought to be thankful. If you're, if you're a Christian woman, you ought to be thankful that you don't live like the other people in the world live on the other side of the world. The women over there are looked down upon. They're treated like objects. And the men ha obviously have lust problems. And they think that women are evil. And really, it's just a reflection of how they feel about their own hearts and their own dirtiness, their own filthiness. And in, in the Quran, most of the women in the Quran go to hell. And the angel would never come to a woman to give her such an important mission or to talk to her. But in the Bible, women are respected. Women are honored. And he says, uh, you found favor with God. It wasn't because she was <clears throat> a good person or like, it wasn't because she was not a sinner that she found favor with God. She finds favor the same way that all of us find favor. We find favor through the free, unmerited grace of God. It's God uh, just deciding to do something with us, even though we're not fit and not clean. You know what the Bible says about us? The Bible says that we, before we come to Christ, that we're ungodly, that we are uh, dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says that we are enemies with, of God in our minds by wicked works. The Bible says that we're just, just bent on doing bad. Uh, just, it just comes naturally to us that we are uh, born in the fallen uh, image and nature of Adam. That's called original sin. Uh, but the Bible doesn't use those words. But we do have that Adamic nature. It says that we're without strength. And it says that when they were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And so God takes you just as you are. You come to him just as you are as an ungodly, sinful person. You, don't, you, you can't change yourself. You can't reform yourself. You can't clean yourself up even if you tried. You just come to him the way that you are. But then God's got to change you to use you. And God will put his favor upon you, but it's not because of any good thing you've ever done. God puts his favor upon us because God gave his son, because God must punish sin. God must punish sin. He's righteous. And so she found favor with God, not because she was sinless. No, not at all. She found favor with God because God wanted to use her for something that he knew he could trust her to do. And it's just like the Apostle Paul. God knew that the Apostle Paul would get the job done. Paul, Paul, anything that Paul did, he took it all the way to the end. And he was just, a, he was zealous about whatever he did. And so he knew there's a man right there. If I want somebody to write 14 books of the New Testament, if I want somebody to start churches and go on three missionary journeys and a fourth one, if you count it to Rome, there's the man that I'll pick right there. So uh, he says, um, verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. So God would make the baby grow in her tummy, and it would be a miraculous conception. In verse 32, And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Listen to the angel's high praise for Jesus Christ. This is what it's going to be like around the throne in heaven. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's not happening right now, but it will. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. It'll be an eternal kingdom. It'll spread throughout all the world and beyond. 
It'll spread into the rest of the uh, solar system that God plans to populate. You say, that's crazy. We were at, uh, we were at the park there in Leetart, not the park, but the cemetery in Leetart, and we were there yesterday to put the wreaths on all of the veterans' grave sites. And I was privileged to be able to be asked to do that, and I wouldn't have known about it had uh, somebody not told me about it. So I went out and wanted to do that. Come to find out, we have over 500 veterans in that cemetery. Um, and uh, some people have given some money that allowed them to be able to put real pine wreaths with a red, red uh, bow on each one of the grave sites. And uh, I got to go and help do that. And that was a really wonderful time. I saw the one particular grave that was a, a Korean veteran. He had survived the Korean War, and that was a terrible, awful uh, affair there, the Korean War. I served in Korea for a year, and I learned a lot about it uh, during that time. Just an awful thing. But I'm saying that to say this. They needed a little bit of help presenting the wreaths for each one of the branches of the military. We have six now. And um, so I actually got to hold one of the Marine wreaths. And I said, there's, there's something wrong about this because I was Army. And the Army and the Marines don't get along. And uh, so I had to hold a wreath for some jarhead. But, um, but I, was, I was honored to do it. But, you know, one of the wreaths that they had was Space Force. That's our newest branch of our military. One of these days, I guess we're going to be fighting over who gets the, the real estate on the moon. I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It'd be like Star Wars or something. But they're, they're trying to move out into the outer space, out, out into the other planets, looking at Mars and looking at possibly being able to inhabit other planets. They're thinking that way. So is that really all that far-fetched? You know what? The Lord's kingdom is going to extend beyond this earth. He's got plans for the rest of it. Because when scientists look at all that stuff, they wonder, we cannot be the only populated planet. Look at all those other planets out in the solar system. Right now we are, as far as we know. And we are, and the reason why I would say that we are is because Christ died for the sins of the whole world. He didn't die for any other worlds. But one of these days, his kingdom is going to be over the entire solar system, at least, and beyond. Think about it. And think where you fit into this. I'll tell you something that will make you think that you're small. We are just a tiny little speck on a little blue marble in the middle of our solar system. And for some reason, God loves us so much. And God fills the heavens. The first, the second, and the third heaven. There's three in the Bible. His throne is in the third heaven. God fills the heavens. God is on the backside of Mars. God is in your home when you get home. He sees all things. He knows your thoughts. When he judges, his, judges, his judgment is righteousness. If you fall under the wrath of God, by the time he gets through talking to you, you're going to understand that you're deserving of it. When he recounts your life and every thought, every deed, every action, that began with a thought. But God came down on this little blue marble and was born as a wee little tiny baby and, and was in the womb of a wee little tiny Jewish girl in an insignificant town that nobody cared about and came into this world to save this world and he died for the sins of this world. It's incredible to think about it. And what are we? We live for maybe 70 years, maybe 80 years if, if, uh, if you have real good health and you're blessed with it, maybe over 100 years. But God has always existed. Before the world was created, 
between 6,000 and 10,000 years ago, according to the Bible, again, if you're secular in your mind, you're not receiving any of this. But if you want to go on in ignorance and believe a lie, you can, if you want to believe evolution. Before the world began, what was there? There was God. He is the great I am. I am that I am. He's always existed. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. We don't add anything to him. He adds to us. He's always been the same. So what was there? There was God. There was fellowship within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he created the angels for worship and for, for his glory. And what else he did, we don't know. But then he makes us, so God's going to live forever, right? God's going to always exist. If you get saved, you're going to always exist in eternal life. If you don't get saved, you're always going to exist in eternal damnation. Your soul lives forever. Once this thing is made, your soul looks just like your body. So you'll have hands, you'll have a tongue, you'll have eyes, you'll have little toes, you'll have your body, but it's a soul and it's going to exist for eternity somewhere. We who are redeemed and have allowed Christ to purchase our salvation, He is our salvation. He is our salvation. It, our salvation is not in a thing. It's not in an action or something that we don't do. Our salvation is in a person who is as great as what we're talking about. And we're going to live forever with him. What are we going to do? We'll look at it before we wrap it up. But if you're faithful, just like Mary was faithful, if you're faithful in what God gives to you, he's going to reward you with it and allow you to reign with him, just like Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. You say, just talk about the baby Jesus. Yeah, that's all you want to hear about. It's just a baby who's in a manger who doesn't touch your life. But you know what? The baby grew up. He became the man, Christ Jesus. He died on a cross, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended to his Father to be glorified, and is coming again. And he will reign forever and ever, like the Hallelujah Chorus. He will reign forever and ever. Are you in on this thing? Are you going to reign with him? You say, I never heard anything like that in my life. This country's had this book 200 years. This is an unknown book. People don't read it anymore. People won't be like the Bereans. Go home, read these things, study these things to see if they're so. See if what that preacher said was right. We got this book, but you know what? God's got some people in America that are still praying, still reading their Bible. And you get in there and the Holy Spirit starts getting a hold of you and the Holy Spirit says, I got a good plan for you. I've got a purpose for your life. Just like Mary God's got a purpose for your life, your life, your life, my life. Some insignificant zero from Cambridge, Ohio, who didn't even show up for his high school graduation, didn't graduate. I didn't realize it. A zero, nothing, a blank. God said, I got a better plan for you. The devil don't care about you. People, when you're, you call your friends, they don't care about you. God says, I'll take you. And he took me. Amen. And I've done something that matters. That's, that's good right there. I'm no longer committing slow suicide. <laughs> I'm 
my life matters now. And he'll do the same thing with every one of us. He's got a purpose for your life. And what we're supposed to do is find out what that is. That's the exciting part. Find out what it is. You know what Mary was? She was a homemaker. Occupation on her W-2 for Rome. Homemaker. You say that's insignificant. Mm-mm. That was God's purpose for her life. That was, the bo- that was the most important thing she could possibly do, was to be good and faithful at it. Jesus had to learn like every other little boy in his humanity. He had to learn, and he had a wonderful mother, and she glorified God in doing what she was called to do. But you know this prophecy about uh, angel or Mary being uh, a, a virgin and the angel giving her this prophecy, that thing is a thousand years old. It comes from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> thousand year old prophecy. There's no other holy book like that on the planet that's got prophecies like that. He didn't just fulfill one. He fulfilled about 50 of them during his earthly life. Things that he was not in control of, couldn't have been. Things that happened to him when he died that he couldn't have controlled. Um, He was the Son of God. He was virgin born. But uh, this prophecy that's fulfilled, there's more prophecies coming, by the way. But I'm telling you, if you're using the excuse, uh, why why don't I just be a Muslim? Why don't I just be a Buddhist? Why don't I just do Hinduism? Why don't I just be a pagan? Why do I have to be anything? You'll be nothing without Jesus Christ. But you know what? He don't don't want it that way. Even the people, let me read these verses to you real quick. And uh, even the people that are false teachers, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, who do not believe that uh, Jesus was deity, and he was God in human flesh, even those people Jesus died for. I'll read to you... uh, from 2 Timothy, and um, I'll read, I'll read in verse, let's see, 2 Timothy chapter, well, 1 Timothy. I'll read to you from 1 Timothy, and read to you from chapter 2. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority. Now that's talking about whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Christian, uh, in a Christian nation, whatever it might be, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was God in a human body. In the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. It's God's will for all men to be saved. It don't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. It's God's will for all men to be saved. And we ought to pray for all men to be saved. Or you're independent or anything else. All men. Let me read to you one more. That puts a monkey wrench in the theology of some people that believe that Jesus only died for the elect. I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter. And... uh, 1 Peter, and I'm going to go to 1 Peter. And I wrote these down this time, so I wouldn't, wouldn't uh, miss it. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. 
But there were false prophets also among the people. We got false prophets today. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Listen, even false teachers who deny the Lord that bought them. There are people also who bring in damnable heresies who say that the Lord's death did not atone for your sin 100%. So therefore, they say you're suffering. If you suffer in the flesh and get cancer, you're helping to atone for your sins. If you do good and, and observe a bunch of ordinances in your church and give money and you know, pay for things like that, uh, pay indulgences and so on and so forth, you can help to atone for your sins. And even people who teach damnable heresies, like those examples, Jesus bought them. He purchased our salvation with his own blood. He paid for it 100%. He can get you out of debt. You're in debt so bad with your sins, it's over your head. You can never get out of debt. He paid the whole thing. Uh, when he says it is finished on the cross, in the original language, that meant uh, paid in full. Paid in full. He paid for everything. Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You see, it's wrath and judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the truth shall be evil spoken of. But did you, did you hear it though? Even denying the Lord who bought them. Jesus even died for the false teachers who reject him and fall under the wrath and condemnation of God Almighty. He died for the whole world. And he doesn't want you to miss out. God is not willing, like Peter said, that any should perish. See, that throws a monkey wrench in some people's theology. But if you just believe the Bible, you realize there's hope for, there's hope for you. There's hope for the whole world if they'll just turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And uh, he'll give you eternal life. He purchased it. You see, folks, salvation is through faith, believing through, it's, it's through belief alone. That's it. But it's in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Verse 31. He should be great. He should do all these things. If you can earn it, if you think that there's some other way that you have to atone for your sin, either by your faithfulness or by following Jesus and by doing this and not doing that, if you think that you can earn it, let me tell you, uh, you've got you to gotta wrestle with the question, if that's the case, then why did he die? Why did he die if you can earn it? Why does it say that he bought them? Why does it say that he purchased us? Why does it say three times in the book of Romans, chapter 5, that it's a free gift? Free gift, free gift. Jesus is God's gift. And it's free. But some people still think, yeah, but i got to earn it. You've got to repent of your self-righteousness and repent of your religion. Let's wrap this up says, he shall be great. Verse 33, he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel says it's going to be a miraculous conception. And then he tells her about her cousin. But look at the end there, verse 37, verse 38. He says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. You say, God could never forgive me. I've done too many things wrong. I've messed up too bad. With God, nothing's impossible. God can save anyone. 
You say, God can never make a, something out of my life. I'm a believer, but I'm a carnal Christian, and I've just gone too far, and I messed things up, and uh, God can't put this back together. Listen, nothing is impossible for God. If you're living and breathing, God can put it back together, and God can do something with you and make something that will glorify Him. He will, and He wants to. He's more ready to receive you, even if you've been saved and got away from the Lord, He's more ready to receive you than you are to come to Him. He stands ready with arms open. He loves you. He is good and merciful and long-suffering and patient and kind and meek and lowly in heart. If you're feeling low down in heart, <clears throat> if, you're, if you feel swallowed up in sorrow, <clears throat> He's going to bring you through that and He's going to fulfill His purpose. He'll be there to meet you, but He's ready to receive you if you'll come and rededicate your life. Mary says this. This is what I want us to take home. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. That means I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to thy word. The angel said, that's good enough, and he departed. You see, that's what I want us to say to the Lord this morning. I want us to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to thy word. Before God ever created this world, before God ever formed you in your mother's womb, he had a plan for your life. He had it, it's his word on what your life should be. You could look at it that way. He's got his will, his written will is written down in here, and that'll give you enough to do until you go home to be with the Lord right there. But he's got a special purpose for you, and he had it all planned out, and it's his perfect will. And I want you this morning to say, I'm your servant, Lord. I belong to you. I take my orders from you. I do what you want me to do. And I want to know what your purpose is for my life, your special purpose. Mary had her purpose. I want to know what your purpose is. And Lord, would you show me? Would you show me what you want me to do? That's what I want you to do this morning. That's what I want for all of us. It's commitment. It's commitment. I saw something uh, in our Sunday school books that we were studying this morning. And... Um, it's an illustration about commitment. A doctor aged 68 was stricken with a mysterious illness. His condition was controllable, but he was advised to give up his medical practice, and not to do so would be a threat to his life. So at the age of 68, he thought about it. Might as well just go ahead and retire. But then he decided he would continue because he cared for his patients more than his own life. And his uh, level of commitment uh, led him to go ahead and disregard the doctor's orders and continue practicing. Twenty years later, he died. Not from his condition, but from a heart attack. The rest of the story is this. The doctor was a veterinarian. His patients were cats. His condition was a severe allergy to cats. <laughs> This came from Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. But if you can value the commitment of this man to cats, listen, think about the commitment that we ought to have to Christ. Amen. Whatever he has, and he cares about cats, certainly. I think dogs more, but he cares about <laughs> cats. But um, there's a man that was committed to those little fur balls. 
And, and Christ wants you to be committed to him. And be in love with the story. It's wonderful to think, a tiny little baby. What did that baby say? That baby says, I love this world so much that I'm willing to be born so that I can die. Amen. And he wants you to, who are dead in trespasses and sins to come to him and he will give you life and then life eternally. But in the meantime, he has a great purpose. I don't know what it might be. But whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Solomon said there's no work, there's no device, there's no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. If you're going to do something for Christ, do it now. Do it now while you live and breathe. And then we will reign with him eternally. Let's go ahead and stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. <clears throat> As you think about this, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you think about it, if God gave you money, He gave that to you to be a blessing. Find someone, find an organization, pray about it, and say, Lord, how do you want me to be a blessing with my money? I've got my plans with my family, and we're going to do something this Christmas season. You're not supposed to tell other people about it, but um, we're going to be a blessing, and uh, we're going to do that together as a family so the kids see it. He didn't just give it to us to hoard it. If God gave you time, He gave you that time to use it for His glory. He gave us life to enjoy. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He wants us to enjoy life. But He wants us, and the best way to, I, I've never seen a, a happy person who was outside of God's will. He wants you to find out His purpose and fulfill it and enjoy life. And then if you've got talents, you ought to be using that for the Lord somehow, some way. Bring the gospel into it. Use your talents for the Lord. And just be like Mary and say, be it done unto me according to your word. Here I am, I'm your servant. And I want to, I want to fulfill your word in my life. And Mary did. Mary did. She was the only one to see Jesus born. And she, and she was able to also see him die. She was the only one. Her husband Joseph didn't live. So she saw his birth and his death faithful to the end. Through that thing. Will you be faithful to the end? Today, if you're here with us, heads bowed.